You are listening to the In Defense of Plants podcast, a show designed to cure plant blindness around the globe. Support for In Defense of Plants comes from listener donations. For instance, today's episode was produced in part by Clifton, Leticia, Ron, Carl, Tim, Lisa, Susanna, Homestead Brooklyn, Brody, Kevin, Sophia, Plant by Design, Mark, Katharina, Sammy and Sven, Renz, Bendix, Erin A., Holly, Mountain Misery Farms, Caitlin, Rosanna, Manuel, Jennifer, Sarah, and Margie. If you would like to give your support to In Defense of Plants, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash plants, and together we can help cure plant blindness one episode at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to the In Defense of Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? I've started to realize that many of you have probably come to In Defense of Plants purely as a podcast. I'm just floored by how the subscription base for this podcast has grown over the years, and it really excites me, so I thank you for listening. But I just wanted to let some of my newer listeners know that In Defense of Plants is also a blog and a video series. The blog can be found on Facebook, Tumblr, and right over at indefensiveplants.com. Blog content is shared five days out of the week, and the video series is more or less weekly when the weather is nice. Been working on a lot of different things with my buddy Grant Zadzak, wonderful filmmaker, producer, and you can find that over at youtube.com slash indefensiveplants. So thank you all for listening, and go check out what other Indefensive Plants content is out there. All right, what do I have for you today? This episode kicks off the first of many interviews that I did while at the second International Orchid Bee Conference down in Costa Rica. It was an amazing time, and I met so many incredible people, from botanists to entomologists and everyone in between. I learned so much, and I met so many great minds. And the first of those minds that I got to sit down and talk with, actually we walked around and talked, is my guest today. Joining us is Florian Edel. Florian is a graduate student at the University of Vienna in Austria, and he specializes in the family Araceae. Now, this is the family that gives us the Arums, and many of you, whether you know that Latin name or not, will be familiar with an Arum in some form or another. They are some of our most common and most beloved houseplants. These are species like the Duncane, Diefenbachia, Pothos, Philodendron, Anthuriums, and most excitingly, these are some of the groups that Florian specializes on, and now he studies pollination. And what amazes me the most and what excites me the most about this research is it takes a lot of plant species that we see as simple aesthetic backdrops, hard-to-kill house plants that you can keep on a shelf and forget about for time on end, and it puts them into ecological context. Not only seeing these plants in the wild, but also learning about the way in which they interact with the world. And Florian specializes, like I said, on pollination, and their pollination mechanisms are fascinating. I was really lucky to get a chance to speak with Florian as he showed me around what you'll hear is a garden that he kind of created in the forest at Lagamba Research Station so that he can study pollination up close and personal. One thing I really gained an appreciation for is just how difficult pollination research can really be. First off, you have to be lucky enough to see insects visit the plants, which in a crowded, hyper-diverse rainforest can actually take some time. But you also have to understand if the mechanisms in which those insects or whatever they are are visiting the flowers, are those mechanisms right to actually pollinate the plant? And then you have to go through like what's attracting that. You'll hear all about it over the next few episodes. But it's remarkable work and I respect it quite a bit because it's not easy. And these kinds of natural history observations are so vitally important. We can't think about plants in a vacuum. 
They're living organisms that interact with the world around them. And if we're going to do better with plant conservation or even ecosystem conservation, we have to think more holistically. Where does the plant live? What kind of habitat does it need? And if it's a flowering plant, what are its pollinators? Without understanding a plant's pollination system, you don't really understand what it's going to take in order to ensure that populations persist and continue on into the future. So this is vital work, to say the least. And I'm really excited that I got a chance to talk to Florian. As you're going to hear, we did this outside in the rainforest. There's plenty of wonderful rainforest sounds in the backdrop, but I just wanted to give a shout out. Florian Etel can be found on ResearchGate and on YouTube. He's got his own YouTube channel, and he has some really cool videos up there of various things, but a lot of them are pollination videos. And these are things that people just generally don't get to see very often. So by sharing those with the world, he's doing us all a great service. And he's just an excellent science communicator. You can hear in his voice just how passionate he is. So without further ado, let's go talk to Florian. I hope you enjoy. aeroid garden, a racy garden. I tried to get all species from the Golfo Dulce region here, from South yes. Pacific Costa Rica, and plant them here near the trees when they are climber, or here in this <laughs> parts here. And, and then I can observe the flowers here. Yeah. This one, and go around, and it's like a, like a sand walk of Darwin. I love it. <laughs> one thing, you go here like this. Yeah. It's inspiration. Yeah. It's I just need a screen. People need that. I think being outside helps generate questions, provides inspiration, observation. It's crazy. In the rainy season, yeah. if it rains, like half an hour later, it's completely full with water. Wow. And then after a few hours of rain, the water will go down again to this. Instant flux. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's, that's many meters. But I thought... Oh, in the rainy season, this must be always full. Yeah, but just it's not raging. like this. It's just it's like this in the morning, and then two o'clock in the afternoon, it starts raining heavily. This is full, like two meters up. Yeah. And then after the rain, at five o'clock, goes down again to this. Incredible. The next day is like this. <laughs> That's so cool. Everything happens quick. Oh, there was a Jesus Christ lizard running over water. Really? Yeah, Doing yeah. what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Or named for, I should say. It's also like, oh wow, what is that species? This is Philodendron Wilburi. Wilburi. And this is a very nice one because it's a high canopy species. Okay. It grows up to trees 40 meters. Wow. And, and it makes these long roots. And they already the indigenous people use this. It's, it's totally strong. Yeah. And oh, wow. have a smell. It smells so good. Ooh, spicy. When you very touch nice it, and spicy. Like, yeah. Wow. That's that's awesome. So it's getting up into the canopy and then sending these roots down for added added nutrients. Exactly, yeah. Wow, and, it's and up you there. And you can find like you can find like trees where you have a curtain of these roots, like wow. five meters only these roots. So incredibly useful to anyone living in the, the exactly. forest. So I think they made like baskets out of it. Sure. And and, and hammocks and well, you don't need more in the forest. <laughs> that takes hammer. care of it. Yeah, yeah. All my needs are met. Carry food. Lay down. Yeah, and then go here. And there is even a small frog pond. Did you hear all this? Oh, yeah. Beep, beep, beep. 
These are um, poison dart frogs. Really? Rocket frogs, actually. The ones with the little black stripe? Yeah. Incredible. You build this pond or was this here? Yeah, make it pond, yeah. It's nice, it's full with life. I love oh, this. Yeah, when I was a kid already, I needed this, this small yeah. ponds. You have a lot of tadpoles inside. Sure. All different sizes. And we have the red-eyed tree frogs coming there after rain, putting the eggs under the leaves. Wow, the gelatinous. I don't know if we see one now, but normally there is one. At least there's something up here. Oh yeah, exactly. There, That's yeah. the eggs of the red eye tree frog. Cluster of gelatinous eggs. Wow. Yeah, look at that little. And they're moving. They're moving. They're yeah. moving. Ah, oh, that's amazing. And then they just drop bloop, right yeah, into the water. Just drop into the water. Thanks, And Liz. they can they can distinguish. There was a study. They can be distinguish between wasps crawling on the leaf and raindrops. Oh, because if oop, oh they fall. Maybe I don't know if or those are probably just rain. But they can distinguish. So if their wasp is coming, they drop uh, earlier than uh, it's just raining. Predators. Yeah, there's a bunch right above us oh, yeah. too. Yeah, even more. Wow. Yeah, those nice, are yeah. brand they are new. fresh. And here too, look. Probably wow. after the big rain yesterday. Yeah. And and it was a rain yesterday. That's for sure. Look. Oh, that's gorgeous. Like little pearls. Oh, those. So we have like the little pearls, then like the little fetus sort of just wiggly things. And yeah. then these have uh, they are, eyes. They already have eyes, yeah. Incredible. These are things that, uh, you know, us temperate folk just see on TV. So to see it in person is just... Yeah. <laughs> the yeah we, look, we look for the red-eyed tree frog every night because yeah. it's so beautiful and... Do you see him often? Yeah. I can Tonight I can show you. Sure. I can even call him. Oh! It's like... <laughs> like this. <laughs> You're very good at that. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, and here goes the sand walk out. And there are all these aeroids, plants. It's even, beautiful. Even some which are used as ornamentals here and are sure. from Asia. Yeah. I mean, I've had those in pots before. The people know all these plants, you know. It's Spadifulum and Alocasia and Philodendrons and Anturiums. Yeah, I mean, anyone listening now will have undoubtedly either encountered them or grown them themselves. I mean, it's these are common genera, but, you know, what's essentially... A potted plant, most places, is, is doing these, these fascinating things in the wild, and that's that's part of what you do, correct? Yeah, that's that's also the fascinating thing. I think you you know these plants, so these different bacchias here, the leaves. We only buy them because of the leaves, right? But they cannot, or some of them even flower in the in the house, but in the field, they will be able to climb. Mm. Normally, you only know these small leaves. In the, in the in the living room the small leaves always right. climbing everywhere but if they reach their if they get to a tree and reach their five meters or even here and two meters high they explode they like get big leaves Monsters. and then they start flowering and yeah. that is what we need to study to understand the biology of the plant the reproduction because only here we have the insects and imagine how how fascinating it would be for grandmother who has the spadifulums at home and the anturiums to know that beautiful orchid bees are normally right. visiting this these little gems and like this smell that uh, that you smell is just to attract them and uh, it's would, incredible i would like to 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 show people who have these plants at home how incredible they are in the wild actually. right right because again these often just fall into the backdrop they're easy to grow people kind of get them and forget about them when they want to have something coloring their room but 
just to know, I mean, hearing you talk over the last couple of days about what you're doing with your studies and what we're going to get into here in a little bit, it's, it's, it's unlocked a whole new world of appreciation, even for me, who, who's obsessed with plants and, and has a general fondness for aeroids. I had no idea the complexity of what was going on here. So let's back up. Who are you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, my name is Florian Ettel. I'm a PhD student from Vienna, Austria, and I work in Costa Rica in this field station here. Where we're at? We're at uh, La Gamba? Yeah, we're in the La Gamba Tropical Field Station in South Pacific Costa Rica in the lowland rainforest in the middle of the national park Piedras Blancas. And this field station is run by the University of Vienna where I do my PhD and I come here several times already to get my data to investigate the plants and I need to stay here for a couple of time always because when I have a plant I will not have for sure that this plant is flowering sure. so I need to wait until they flower they have different seasons so if you want to know about the phenology you have to be here in the rainy season <laughs> in the dry season and then you start to learn, okay, which plant is flowering in February, which plant is flowering in August, in the rainy season. And if you're here in February, in the dry season, you have a bunch of plants all flowering together. And then you ask yourself, okay, who is the pollinator? And then you maybe find out, okay, this philodendron species here, they're all pollinated by scarab beetles. They look like the may beetles that everybody knows, mm. and they meet in these inflorescences to copulate. And there are probably here around 20 to 30 different philodendron species. Wow. Only in this garden, in this forest around right. this field station. And they all have these nearly similar looking flowers. But the scent and the time when they produce the scent during the night, because they're all nocturnal, they attract night active scarab beetles. But some of them exactly produced the scent at six o'clock some of them produced the scent wow. at eight o'clock at nine o'clock ten o'clock and then they all have this specific scent made by a few molecules and this attracts these beetles and there are around five to six beetle species who pollinate all these 30 to 40 philodendron species not not only philodendron also the genus Diefenbachia and Homalomena and Caladium, <laughs> they are all pollinated by these beetles. But these, be this, these beetles are covered with the pollen of the plant where they left this night. So the plant needs to be sure that this beetle is going to the exact same species. Otherwise you have hybrids or you have lost all your pollen. Yeah, dead end. And that is when the closing time of the flower kicks in. Because they don't even only open and flower at a specific time when they produce the scent. They also close in the next evening at a specific time. And that is when they throw out the beetles. It's like in a, in a pub. Okay, now, last drink, you have to go. And this is exactly at, this, at the same time when the other individuals of the same oh, species man. produce the scent. So it doesn't matter what time of the night you smell, as long as you throw out the beetle at the same time on the next day because this flower has a female face attracts the beetle then this beetle stays for 24 hours and then is the male face put the pollen on the beetle and then you need to kick him out to go exactly this time into the dark forest again fly and look for the same scent again that he found yesterday so that synchrony is so important that is very important this. yeah wow so 
all of this is happening unbeknownst to most. Again, this is stuff that probably people will recognize the flowers, but the complexity of what's going on behind the scenes is what really makes these species all the more fascinating. But it doesn't end there. There's, there's. You mentioned orchid bees earlier. There's other pollination centers yeah, going mean, on with aeroids. It's not just beetles. This is, this is. There are several. You call these pollination systems. So you have beetle pollination. You have bee pollination. It, now I talk generally. Yeah, okay, yeah in the yeah. plant kingdom. So you have plants that are pollinated by beetles, some pollinated by bees, most of them probably, some by butterflies, some by small fruit flies, and some by weird insects, even cockroaches or hmm. what you can imagine. And these groups of plants that share the same pollinator type, they have a specific time or scent which they produce to attract this group of pollinators. And within the aeroids, the Araceae, you have 4,000 species in this family. Most of them, probably more than 3,000, occur only in tropics. And the crazy thing is that Anthurium and Philodendron are the largest genera of this family, the most known also. Sure. And they are about 2,500 species. So more than half of all aeroids are these two genera. They only occur in the neotropics of, also in the tropics of America, in the neotropics. Huh. And then is the question, how is it possible that there was such a radiation to produce so many different species? They all look a little bit alike in the, in the flower, right? but only the smell is differentiating between all these pollinators. And then you can have uh. totally different smells. That means, okay, now I attract only flies. If, if you are an anturium that smells like rotten fruits or fruits, and then you can be sure, okay, this will attract probably flies. Mm. And then it depends which time of the day. If it's in the night, it might attract different insects that go for rotting fruits, maybe cockroaches or something, or some, some beetles that normally go for fruits. So they will all be attracted to these fruit scents. And then you have some of the anturiums, they smell like perfumes, like chewing gum perfume <laughs> or, or, or mouth mouthwash water, this kind of things. Wow. Like this smell is, for example, methyl benzoate or methyl salicylate. These are all things that are used in, if you want to make candies smell mm, good. Mm. So these substances are used also in, in the human food processing. But if, if, a, if a plant smells like this, here at least in in Costa Rica and in the Neotropics, you you can be sure that there will be some orchid bees coming. Right, and that's one of the main reasons we've just met is because we're here at this international symposium on orchid bees. So exactly. You just gave a talk, and it, there's there's a really interesting relationship going on with these orchid bees because their whole goal with for the for the bee is to collect a fragrance, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So it's not pollen. I mean, although they do need pollen and nectar, but it's males and sometimes females collecting fragrances or resins. What's going on in, in your system? It's like this. Um, there are the male orchid bees and they are the only bees so far known that collect the f scent of the flower. So the flower don't need to produce nectar to attract these male bees. If we talk about pollen, it's a different story because then we talk about female bees collecting pollen, making nests mm. and this stuff. They also need nectar, but they don't collect the scent. They only need resin, material to build the nest and nectar and pollen to feed the brood. But the males, they collect the scent and this is strange. So 
they go to the anthurium flower and collect with their forelegs the scent and then store the scent in a special basket on their hind leg where, which is hollow with a lot of hair inside and this is where the, the scent in form of a lipid drop like a, a fatty a fat drop of essential oil mm. will be sucked in and then the more scents they collect from different flowers the better the perfume becomes and this perfume is not any perfume it is a species specific perfume so wow. each orchid bee species and we have more than 30 species here has to collect their set of molecules and this they only find in specific flowers and they're called orchid bees because there's so many orchids pollinated by them. I think there are known more than 900 orchid oh, species man. exclusively <laughs> pollinated by orchid bee males, Jeez. only collecting scent. They all have the different scents. They want to attract only a few bees because if they attract all bees, the pollen is yeah. wasted. They yeah. need specific bees to go here and again tomorrow go to the same species but somewhere else. This is ideal. And... I want to find out if, because they don't only visit anthuriums, they, they visit 11 plant families, which they also pollinate. And one of them are the aeroids, the, the family I work with. And so you have the anthuriums here and the spatifulums, these two Again, genera. Two very familiar houseplants. Exactly. And they are visited by these bees in the morning. Not, not all the time, you need to wait a little bit, then these bees will arrive, do their job, 10 minutes, collect the scent. Sometimes you have maybe, let's say, 10 bees in once. Okay. And sometimes you have only one bee. Okay. And then they collect the scent. And when they finish, they, they leave. And after a while, if they have enough scent, they go to specific perching sites on this feeler trail here. And <laughs> they sit on, like, not thick, but like thin trees. And sit there in two meter height. And then they spread the perfume they just collected. They put it on their mid legs, a small hair, and with their wings they fan the, the smell into the forest to do what the purpose of this perfume <laughs> is. And this is still not known. I right. mean, it probably attracts other males. They come there and then the one that has the most perfume can stay and the other one have to leave. And the females just come and take the one that is on this perching site. Because she best. can be sure the, the males, they they already talked this out and <laughs> the one that is here has the most perfume. How cordial. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this would be one hypothesis why sure. they collect the right. scent. And that's another reason this symposium takes place is to kind of have that pun intended cross-pollination of ideas and get people working together that are on both sides and then those people that work on on the system as a whole uh, to talk about this, but you you have something going on with an anthurium where there there's an orchid involved followed by that. I don't know if you are at the point where you can talk about that, but yeah, I mean, um, it's what we can for sure say. We can go to this anthurium sure. here. It's so this is already published by by me and my colleagues. This is anthurium acutifolium, and. Um, this is one where nothing was known about the pollination and it was also not in the focus of my study. The thing is that I thought it is an ornamental plant which is not native here because I only knew it from this spot in front of the office next mm. to this hammock. So I thought, okay, there are small stingless bees going to collect pollen during the male phase and they are not affecting pollination. They are just stealing the pollen and 
who the real pollinator is, I will not find out if I have only one ornamental plant, maybe in the <laughs> place where it doesn't right. belong to. So I, I decided not to study this plant. I didn't even know the name of the plant. <laughs> then came this day where I was sick and I had to be in this hammock. So <laughs> I, I was forced to look at the plant and observe these stingless bees collecting pollen. Suddenly I saw they're not collecting pollen, they press their abdomen, their, okay. their the back body part, the, the belly, on the inflorescence, on the flowers, and go up, like five centimeters up, and go down five centimeters again, always pressed this uh, belly on the flower. Huh. So I thought, okay, as far as I know from bees, this is an unusual behavior, exact, especially because there is no pollen. So I caught one of these bees, had a look under the microscope, I saw they have 13 antennal segments. That means it is um, male. Wait, what's it now? Is it? Yeah, I think 12 is the female and 13 is the male. Mm. So I, I knew, okay, this is a male bee, which is the link to the orchid bees is already there. Ah, so yeah. male bee doing something. Yeah. Male bees normally <laughs> they just copulate yeah. and drink nectar. Yeah. That's yeah. it. But yeah, these you know. males collect something. <laughs> So I thought, okay, that's strange. Maybe I have here stingless bee males who collect maybe scent. This was my first idea because the, the plant smells strong and collects this, uh, and, and these bees are collecting something. So I was immediately thinking about the orchid bees and maybe we have an equivalent here. I found out later that this is not a stingless bee male, it is an oil bee male, which is oh. quite strange because... Um, Oil bee females normally collect oil instead of nectar to feed their brood. Ah. They collect oil and pollen and make the brood cells and even they use this oil for lining the cell wall. Okay. So, so impregnated. Yeah, it's very important for these bees. And for male oil bees, there is nothing known, nearly. I mean, there were some cases where they saw male bees collecting also oil. Nobody knew the purpose. So what we have found here is a male oil bee with their belly collecting something from that flower. The, the first suggestion would be, okay, oil. But in, in our investigations with electron microscope, with histological cuttings and coloring it and looking for oil, we had no oil. There is no gland of secreting oil or something huh. that is known from uh, these oil flowers that are specialized for the oil bees. So... Our next hypothesis could only be they collect the scent. So we looked at the belly of these bees, um, washed it with a with a um, solution, and found inside this belly also the same floral scent compounds that we find in this flower. Wow! So we were sure. Okay, now they collect they collect scent. We still don't know why they do it. Yeah. But what we need to to say here is that orchid bees normally use their secretion from a gland in the mouse parts to produce a fatty secretion, a lipid, mm. um, which can dissolve the perfume from the flowers, from the orchids. So they spit on their legs and then they scrape it. Oh, to, because wow. y y you cannot just take a scent from somewhere. It will disappear immediately. Right. You need something to dissolve it, to... to like in the in the film, the perfume. Yeah, you know, as a perfumer would. Yeah. The guy puts everything in fat yeah. to conserve the scent. And this is what the orchid bees do with their secretion. 
and then they put it in their in their baskets and they recycle this lipid. This was found out by Thomas Elts, who is organizing this symposium. Mm-hmm. But the oil bees, they don't have this. They don't spit on the flower. They don't make their 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 legs fatty before with some secretion. And now the oil <laughs> collection kicks in. <laughs> That's maybe why all the oil bee males sometimes collect oil. Oh, amazing. Because they need this oil to dissolve the scent from the inflorescence. And this is what ah. I just saw recently, which, which is uh, not published now, but will be soon, that these bees are also going to some oil-producing orchids, collect the oil there, put this oil through several leg movements on the hind leg, and from the hind leg where they store now the oil, they take it with a spur, which is like a, a small... A narrow little thing, like a small saw. Yeah, like a little knife coming off. Like a knife coming out of the leg. And they scrape with this saw-like knife, they scrape the the oil from the the other leg, from this hairy pouch where they store the oil, and then put it on the belly. And with this mop, like it's like a a mop to clean, full with oil, you can take every scent, actually, (laughs) which you can find. Everything you have. So that's... Wow. That's... That's why I love ecology. That's incredible. <laughs> well, if people want to find out more about this fascinating body of literature, and it is a fascinating because, I mean, I have so much respect for the science you do because you have to be, you're combining a lot of, you know, chemistry and biology and botany. It's, it's incredible. Um, but if people want to know more about it, how, how, how do you recommend they find your work? Um, uh, the best would be just to go um, to the journal Flora, where a special issue was published um, last year about pollination. Because Stefan Vogel, who was um, the discoverer of the oil bees and the orchid bee <laughs> perfume flower connection, mm-hmm. he, he discovered this and described this in the 60s, but he died in 2015. Mm. And we made a symposium in Vienna about his work with a lot of talks. And um, there was this special issue. And there I published this work. So you just go to look for the work. It's called... A perfume collecting male oil bee? Question mark. Evidences for novel pollination system involving Anturium <laughs> acutifolium and Paratetrapedia chocoensis. Ah, oh, I love it. Well, I will be <laughs> posting links yeah. along with this episode better, for that. Yeah. But Florian, thank you so much for talking with me. Yeah. Cheers, man. You're welcome, man. Yeah. I'm very happy to explain to you all this fascinating plant world here. And it is fascinating. I think you just made every houseplant grower that much happier. We could we could talk uh, for Probably two more hours about all these steroids <laughs> here, about yeah. rotting meat smell and 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 sweat smell and whatever. But well, uh, consider this <laughs> an open invitation to come back on the podcast at any point in time. Yeah, exactly. Cheers. Pura vida. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I will never look at my houseplants the same, especially not that deep in Bakia. It was so cool to get that tour from him and just to hear the passion in his voice talking about these plants that, again, we tend to own but then just forget about just because they're so hardy. These are fascinating plants, amazing species with a great natural history to them. I hope you've gained a deeper appreciation for tropical aeroids. I thank Florian for taking the time to talk to us. It was a really busy week. Everyone was busy with talks, interactions, networking, and just trying to get their research done. So it was great to take the time to sit down and talk with us today. 
All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Again, go check out all the other In Defense of Plants content. InDefenseofPlants.com. We are a regular blog. And YouTube.com slash In Defense of Plants. You can go and check out the videos. I've got a lot more interviews coming up from the Orchid Bee Symposium, so stay tuned. The best way to do that is to hit subscribe, and while you hit that subscribe button, please consider giving this podcast a review. I really appreciate it. Until next week, this is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.